0: I was tempted this morning to preach something else and get to Galatians another time, but I, I've decided that if I don't continue through Galatians, I will never make it through Galatians because I have all kinds of sermons prepared in the back of my mind that I could have preached other than Galatians, but I really want to get through this. Oh, yes. Can we pray for Mitchell and Benny Mitchell wake up for a month now? Oh, yes. Sorry, I... have for, forgot the uh, prayer, request. prayer request. Yes. Uh, does any so Mitchell, yeah, Mitchell Vincent, Vincent. Vincent, okay, Mitchell and Vincent Menzer will keep them in prayer. Does anybody else have a prayer request? Bryant and Sierra. Yes. Bryant and Sierra. Yes, we need to keep them in prayer. Um, we haven't seen them here for some time. And so we need to keep them in prayer um, for sure. And all those others that should be here and are not. Dolores? Yes. Uh, Pray for our troops. Especially the ones that are near and dear to our heart. Uh, Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the creator and the sustainer of all men. Father, you know our hearts, you have purposed our steps, you guide us on your path of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, you have known us before we were formed in our mother's womb psalm 139 says you knew me when i was fashioned in my mother's womb father i pray today for the needs of those who are dear to our hearts father we pray for mitchell and for vincent father we pray that you would work in that situation father we pray that uh, reconciliation and would be made. We pray that you would work in that family situation. All things for their good and your glory, Father. We do pray for our brother and sisters um, who are not with us this morning, who should be with us, Father. We we are genuinely worried about those who have neglected this gathering of saints together to worship you, Father. We pray that they would come to see their need for it. We pray, Father, that you would impress it upon their hearts. How important it is, Father, we pray that we as a church would reach out in love with the grace of Christ, calling them to fellowship and to their duty to the church to which they have covenanted in membership. Father God, we pray for those in the service, especially for those who were Dear to our sister Dolores, Father, we pray that you would keep them safe in Beirut and in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever our troops may be stationed. Father, we pray that your hand would be upon them and that they would be protected by thy providence. Father, we do ask that you would work in all these situations for your glory and the good of those whom you have called and set your love upon. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Now, <laughs> I think I I think um, I have got everything. I think I prayed for everything. But if anybody thinks of any more prayer requests. Make sure to get them to me before the end of the service and we'll pray for them. Because we always want to remember to pray for those who are in need. It is the uh, instrument that God has given us to have our needs met. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Galatians, we are starting chapter 3. Chapter 3. you know, as i was sitting down trying to figure out how to divide, divide this up, I think um, Kevin can attest that sometimes that is the most uh, that is the most taxing part of sermon preparation is trying to figure out where to make the cuts, where you want to, how far you want to go, because. I really wanted to preach all of chapter 3 in one sermon, and I just don't think I could do justice to the content of chapter 3 by doing it all in one sermon. So then I thought, I was like, well, I'll take it, and I'll go down to verse uh, 14. And as I started preparing and getting my notes ready and thinking about what I would say, I came to realize that I would only get through about verse 4 today. Uh, There's just a lot in these first uh, four verses that we can unpack. And we want to mine as many truths out of the Word of God as we can. Amen. So, uh, if you'll read with me, we are going to read Galatians chapter 3, 1 through 4. This is the word of God. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? are you so foolish having begun in the spirit are you now made perfect by the flesh have you suffered so many things in vain if yet it be in vain let's go to the Lord in prayer father we ask your blessing today on the reading and the hearing of your word father uh, Get me out of the way, Father, that your word might reign in truth among your people today. Father, that it might inform them in their minds, inform them in their hearts, their consciences, the conscience by which they walk before you as Christians. Father, I pray that it would be useful to the edification of your church, that it would be useful for rebuke, for correction. And training in righteousness, your word tells us, that it's sufficient for these duties. Father, we pray that your spirit would be precedent over this service. And, Father, that you would have your way and that your name would be made great and glorious. We ask this benediction now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are coming now to the third chapter of Paul's epistle to the churches that were in the region of Galatia. Right, this whole region in southern uh, Asia Minor of these churches, and we're going to press on in the expounding of some very basic truths of God God's word. There's not going to be anything deep in here today. There's nothing. Uh, laying underneath this text that we need to find. It's all right on the surface. This is all very, uh, you know, we talk about the spiritual milk and the meat. This is all going to be milk. There is no meat on the menu today. This is basic. This is Christianity 101. Really basic stuff. And that's okay, right? Isn't it? We need these things. The tendency of many Christians is to think that once we have gotten saved and once we've been walking with Christ for some time, that we no longer need that milk, that we no longer need the basics, that we can just rush past the basics onto these, quote-unquote, deeper things of Christ. And we think of ourselves as having arrived. And so we tend to forget the foundational doctrines of our faith. Justification by faith alone. Union with Christ. Salvation by grace. And we move to what we consider to be meat. And that may be the doctrine of last things. A lot of Christians get really hung up in that. And as they get more caught up in things that they consider deeper, be it in uh, end times or be it, uh, you know, well, what do we do with the Old Testament? Because we have a whole um, a whole movement of Christians that think, well, uh, the Christians haven't been using the Old Testament right for a number of years. So now we need to go back and we need to observe all of these Jewish rites and ceremonies that... Um, were done away with under Christ, and they have forgotten the basic truth of Christianity, and this is evident by the way they are practicing religion now. And so we've we got to be careful and to not think of ourselves as having arrived, not to ever think of ourselves as more mature than we are, but to realize that we need these basic truths to be pounded into our heads every day, day in and day out. We need to reflect on these things, because these basic truths are to the ground on which we live the Christian life, and if that ground begins to crumble, so goes our faith. We must not allow this error of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to have sway in our churches. This was the problem in Galatia. These false teachers called the Judaizers were able to come in and press their doctrine of circumcision. Oh yes, Jesus, but you must be circumcised. You must keep the dietary restrictions you must do this you must do that and it is evident in paul's letter that the galatian christians at least for the most part had forgotten the basics of the christian faith and we've already seen that in the chapters leading up to this but i think it will be even more evident from our text today that he is writing here to correct an error that they are falling into while following these false teachers. O foolish Galatians, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth as crucified among you? O foolish Galatians, Paul was calling this people foolish. He was. Uh, that's explicit in the text. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. He was talking to the Galatians. But I want to, and it, it's kind of sad that I have to say this, but I think that it needs said. Paul was calling this people foolish. This does not give us as Christians license to be uncharitable to our brothers or were caught in false doctrine because a lot of people will appeal to this and say oh look paul called the galatians fools that means we should just anybody who has a doctrine that is off or a doctrine that we don't think is right that we should just go off and we should call them fools and we should call them out and we should be as mean as we can to them so they can get the pulp. The point, because that's what Paul was doing in Galatians, right? He was just trying to be mean. He was just trying to sear that in there. He was trying to make them He was trying to make mad. That wasn't what Paul was doing. And I, I ha- as, and it may sound odd to you guys sitting here today, but I've seen that defense used when uh, Christians are, especially in online interactions, being this way to other Christians or being. Uh, uncharitable, mean-spirited, and haughty towards these other people, and to say, oh, well, Paul called the Galatians fools. That means I can call this guy. No, that wasn't what Paul was doing. Well, and, and I think they forget that Paul was an apostle. Yeah. Paul planted the church in Galatians. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, and so I think that it's important to point that out, for that we are not all the Apostle Paul, and we don't have a duty to go around calling everybody that we disagree with fools. Right, right. And I want to admit that Paul was not being derogatory or uh, condemnatory in his... Using this term. He was. He was coming at this. He was invested in this church. He was the founder of the churches in the region of Galatia. He had set these up. He had appointed elders in these places. He was invested in their spiritual well-being. And I say this instead of being like Paul is cursing them out instead of coming at them in condemnation, he is weeping over them. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? His exhortation here is not of condemnation, but of reconciliation and reminding them of the truth. Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? He says. I titled this The Foolishness of the Flesh. One of the many titles that I played with the idea of when I was writing this was The Foolishness of False Religion. And we should remember that false religion is foolish and it is sin. False religion is, among other things, however, a device of Satan, that ancient serpent that deceived the mother of all living in the Garden of Eden. False religion is a tactic of Satan. Listen to the way he says this. Who hath bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you? That implies that there is Something here other than Paul just calling these people dumb. Right. There is a spiritual um, a spiritual aspect in this. There is a spiritual um, principality at play in this um, in these Galatians forgetting the gospel, in these Galatians forgetting the truth, in these Galatians not obeying the truth. This is important to remember because I think this is a lot of what is going on when we are out here just running amok and calling people fools for holding on to false beliefs. We've got to remember where we were when we first started our Christian walk. We didn't have all the knowledge that we have today. If we had well, I mean, if we had, then we're just perfect Christians, we don't need any sanctification, we don't need to start our Bible because we've arrived, we've figured it out, right? That's the way a lot of Christians think of it. And because I have arrived, now I can tell Sister Susie so-and-so that her doctrine is false and she just needs to quit being stupid about it. She needs to quit being a fool and repent and believe what I said. But that's not what Paul is doing. Paul realized there was a principality at work. Who hath bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you? Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This spiritual wickedness, these principalities and powers, is what Paul was combating in this Galatian error. False doctrine is always of the deceiver, false doctrine is not just something conjured up in somebody's mind man is surely to blame for not for false doctrine but not only to blame and if we forget the spiritual aspect of it we will apt to not be caring to those to whom we minister who are caught up in false doctrine but we will be harsh we will be critical and we will not show the proper care that we should take in correcting false doctrine. It's a very, very spiritual thing. We should not look at these people to be condemned, but we should look at these people that are caught up in this false doctrine from these false teachers as people that we want to share the gospel with. A lot of times we see people that are caught up in false doctrine and our first line of defense is to call him a heretic. I think that is a word that has been far overused and has stretched beyond its original intent. In the early church when they called somebody a heretic it was for teaching something that was contrary to the Bible. It was these teachers that they were calling heretics, not people who were deceived by false teachers now there is a difference and it's an important difference and we've got to keep it in mind because there there are false teachers who are teaching for greedy things things that ought not to be taught right they are teaching false doctrine and we should come against that as Christians if we know the truth and don't you know don't abide by it that's sin right that's what James says. If we know to do what is right and we do it not, it's sin. That's right. But we should also remember that not everybody who believes a false teaching is a false teacher. Some people are deceived, and they are deceived by principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. Bewitched, Bewitched right. That is, that is why he uses this word. So when we are confronting these, we need to take heed, lest we become cold and uncompassionate to those to whom we minister. I want to make the argument that Paul here is being compassionate when he calls these Galatians foolish. He is weeping over them. We are to be compassionate in correcting false doctrine. Yeah. With grace. With grace. We should take the counsel of the Lord's brother, Jude. The brother of James, at, at this point, he wrote to the elect in verse 22 and verse 23 of his epistle. And of some, have compassion, making a difference, and others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Having compassion. Why? Because these people who are caught up in false doctrine may very well be our brothers and sisters in Christ. Who need to be prayed for. We cannot combat false teaching without prayer. We cannot combat false teaching without sound teaching. So instead of seeking to condemn everybody who we think carry the false belief, we should be praying for them. We should be reaching out to them in love. We should be sharing with them sound doctrine. We should be sharing with them the gospel. Because that's where Paul takes it. Paul doesn't take it to derogatory remarks and condemning them. He takes it to the gospel. Listen to this. Who be with you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? Do we see how Paul is doing that? How he is taking this back to the gospel? He is not condemning them as it were to hell, but he is taking them And placing their eyes back on Christ. When they have forgotten. They have been bewitched that they should not obey the truth. He takes them back to Christ. Christ was crucified before you. Before your very eyes. Christ was set forth as crucified. We preach Christ and him crucified right. So when we preach to people. And they forget. We need to take them back to the gospel that we preach to them. And that is what Paul is doing in this epistle for the entire epistle. Back in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, there will be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He is taking it back to the gospel when he says this. Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you. We have preached the sufferings of Christ. You know What Christ went through. You know the gospel. You know what Christ did for sinners. Why? How have you been bewitched? Who is it that hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? It was before your eyes that Christ was evidently set forth as crucified. He takes it back to the gospel. He always takes them back to the gospel, and so should we. As we seek to correct false doctrine, and we seek to save those who we know that are, have been bewitched by false teachers and false ideas, we should take them back to the gospel. Because, after all, a cunning argument or a derogatory remark is not the power of God and salvation. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And that is why when Paul is confronting to be sure the false teachers in Galatia but also the Galatians he does so with the gospel at the forefront. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ. Hath been evidently set forth. Crucified among you. He takes them back to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If anyone is going to be saved from false teaching. It will be by the gospel. Not by your rhetorical ability. He says, this only, this only would I learn of you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith now this is paul putting rhetoric to use he is not actually asking if they were perfected but or he was not asking if they'd received the spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith as he's not asking for information he is being rhetorical in his asking of this question he knows that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. These believers in Galatia received the spirit by hearing with faith. But they had been pursuing it as though it were by the works of the flesh. They were pursuing it as though perfection came by the flesh. They had heard the teaching of the Judaizers about how we should believe in Christ. Believing in Christ is fine, but you should be circumcised as well. But you should adhere to the dietary restrictions of the law as well. So, Christ, while Christ is necessary, Christ is insufficient, the false teachers would say. And... Paul brings them back to the crucifixion, to cru- crucifixion of Christ, if for no other reason but to say, Jesus is sufficient for you. Would you be perfected? Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Again, are ye so foolish? Are ye so foolish? having begun in the spirit are you now made perfect by the flesh if you wanted a point on which to hang this entire sermon this would be it this is how we understand the message the scope behind Paul's letter to the Galatians we see it here we see it here are you now being made perfect by the flesh. It's important to note here. That this flesh being spoken of here. Is not in reference to the sinful nature. Because flesh the Greek word sarks, Is often used in that way. When they talk about the works of the flesh. They'll go on to talk about in uh, chapter 5. The works of the flesh are evident that is talking about the works of the sinful nature of of man. Um, But that's not the sense in which he's talking about here. Because that would just seem... I mean, nobody would ever think that we were made perfect by our sinful nature, right? So there has to be more than one way that Paul is using this term flesh. And there is. And the way in which he is using this... Speaks of human effort, of striving in the flesh. Right. More pointedly, human efforts toward justification. Right. Well, and I'd say uh, human efforts outside of yeah God's help. Yeah, outside. Yeah, outside of from God's help. Right. Yeah, outside of having been. That's why I say human efforts toward justification, right. because it is only justified sinners that do the will of God right it is only once you're justified that you can please God because you stand before him you are no longer condemned you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and now we can work as though we were pleasing God so this so this flesh that he's talking about here are you so foolish having begun in the spirit are you now made perfect by the flesh that is to say Are you made perfect by your own effort or by the Spirit? Having begun in the Spirit, they had begun on the right track. They had heard the gospel. They had repented of their sins. They had believed the gospel. And they were running as though it were by the Spirit. And in comes the false teaching. And now they are running as though their perseverance was by the flesh. And he says, are you so foolish? You began in the spirit. Will you now be made perfect by your flesh, by the flesh? Any human effort toward justification will not bring the desired result. It cannot. The the carnal mind is enmity with God, right? We cannot please God by the flesh. We must rely on Christ. This is the equal but opposing idea that I spoke of briefly As Brother Kevin, last Sunday evening, I believe it was, Sunday or Wednesday, when you were uh, talking about sanctification and about how we, you know, we have a role. We have to obey. And we talked about the two ends of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you had those who would be perfected by the flesh and think they have no need of Christ, think that they can do it all themselves, I'll just pull myself up by the bootstraps, and I'll live this Christian life all by myself. And then you have the people who say, well, if God's going to do it, he's going to do it. What need do I have to obey? What need is there for me now to work? I'm just going to sit back on my laurels and let God do all the work. Yeah. yeah, they want to sit there sin. They don't want to live like a Christian. They want to live like a, uh, like a baptized heathen that can sit out there and sin all they want, not desire to obey Christ and still make it to heaven. Right. But then you have those on the opposite end of the spectrum, which were the Galatians here. Right. They thought that they would be perfected by the flesh. This is the foolishness of all of man's religion. If you if you compare biblical Christianity, because there are streams of Christianity that the thought creeps into, but when you compare biblical Christianity with all the religions of the world, the one thing that sets them apart is how they view someone's right standing before God. Uh, I can't speak to every false religion, of course, but I can speak to say Islam. On Islam, they believe that when you stand before God, Allah, on Judgment Day, you will stand before God, and He will take this scale, and you'll have the scale, and on one side of this scale goes all your good works, all the charitable things you've ever done, all the good things that you've ever done for towards mankind. All towards God will go on one side. All your bad deeds go on the other side of the scale and you had better hope that your good deeds, that way you're bad, or you're going to hell. Uh-oh. A lot of us are in trouble. I'm in trouble. If that's how I'm going to stand before God, I am in danger of hellfire. Praise God through the Lord Jesus Christ that there is no scale. And if it were, it's Christ's righteousness. Righteousness on the other side of the scale for my bad deeds and not my own. Praise God. Yes. This idea that man in his fallen state, if they indeed hold to fall, which is becoming less and less common, even in what calls itself evangelical Christianity. <sighs> that man can stand before God and answer by means of his own merit, to be either justified unto life or condemned unto death. False religion, that of natural men, is not restricted to those who worship another god. You can look around and find this kind of thinking in those who would call themselves evangelical Christians. That we would be perfected by the flesh. I have heard it out of the mouth of pastors. That oh well the grace of God saves us absolutely. But once you get in that door. You are the deciding factor. If you can just do this and you can just do this, that. You can keep your justification. You can remain justified. But it's all up to you. What is, why is that a problem? Because I see their point on the other side. They don't want to say that, well, you can just become saved and never work again, never strive for holiness, never war against the flesh, and still enter heaven. We don't want that message. But what we cannot do is go to the opposite end of the spectrum And run that far in the other direction as to say that you get in by grace, you stay in by works. Because even that is false. And deviating from true religion is to necessarily participate in false religion. And to make a savior out of one's own morality rather than Christ. You see, this then this was a perpetual problem for the peoples of God. It stemmed even from when Adam and Eve, you remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned against God, and they heard God walking in the garden, they went and they hid themselves. They made coverings for themselves to cover their own sin, to try to appear righteous before God as though they had done no wrong to cover up their sin this is the inclination of natural man it's towards self-justification towards this mentality of I'm just gonna do it all myself they hid themselves from the faith of God they attempted to cover up the sin that they had committed in the garden and then when God called them out and they were exposed before God, he said, who told thee that thou were naked? Right? Who told thee that thou needed covered up? What what did he do? He provided atonement. He took the skins of animals and laid it upon them, setting in order... The need for atonement, for blood sacrifice to cover sin. You mean he didn't put whole animals on No. <laughs> like dropping an ox on him to try to kill him or something. Or <laughs> the, uh, the point is that he had to skin animal. Yeah, he skinned the animal. The animal had to bleed. The animal surely died. He didn't, you know, skin these animals alive. There was a... There was death and bloodshed involved. And he made skins for them and he clothed them. And so, when people, you know, I used to wonder about that a lot. Well, you know, people would ask, me, well, do you think Adam and Eve are in heaven? Well, if they're not going to be, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it. (laughs) God provided salvation for them the same way he provided salvation for you and I. Freely. Freely. Those Coats of skins were representative of the righteous robe of Christ that believers receive at justification. This is true religion. This is what distinguishes Christianity from every false system out there. You see then that this inclination to trust in the flesh Has been a perpetual problem for the people of God. It's not new. It wasn't new to the generation to which Paul preached. And it isn't new to our generation now. It has continued since the dawn of time. It's the condition of every fallen sinner, sinner. And the remnants of this propensity to trust in the flesh. Is residual In each one of us. It's evident in the way that I live my Christian life. I wake up and there are days where my flesh is warring against the spirit. I want to wake up. I want to do what's pleasing to God. I want to go on about my day like I'm a Christian. Like I'm justified. And please God in what I do. But my flesh... Have other plans. My flesh doesn't want to trust me in Christ. I don't need to pray about my financial situation. I need to to buck up and figure out what I'm going to do about this. Don't pray about it first. Worry about it for 10 days, and then I might pray about it. Or ask other people for prayer, and then not pray about it. I want to continue in my own flesh. I don't want to trust Christ I don't want to pray about it. I want to live this Christian life individually by myself. Just pull myself up by my bootstraps and think that I can get there. You'll never get there with that line of thinking. Will you now be perfected by the flesh? What did we talk about that meaning? Will you be perfected by your own efforts? Apart from the Spirit... Will you, O foolish Galatians, be perfected by circumcision or by faith in Christ? For justification, will you put stock in your own self-righteousness or in the perfect, absolutely spotless righteousness of Christ? Will you make your conservative morality your savior or will you give place to only Christ as savior? We sang that old hymn earlier. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. We dare not to trust our own what? Our own strength? Our own righteousness? Our own works to take us all the way to glory instead of Christ? I want you to turn with me to... Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, this proves that this was not a, uh, a uh, problem that was specific only to the Galatians or only to a new uh, age, a new dispensation of people, but it was the perpetual problem of the people of God. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 6. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm. Do you hear those words from our hymn in there? The arm of flesh. Who maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit parched places, dry, barren places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. This man who trusts in his flesh or makes flesh his arm, that is, to make flesh his strength or to make his own works, his own efforts, his Savior, according to Scripture, is cursed. Friends, the arm of flesh will fail you. You cannot be perfected by the flesh. Anytime scripture makes such a strong negation, the converse is the solution. Anytime the scripture makes this negation that you can't be perfected by the flesh or cursed is the man who makes flesh his arm, the converse is true. What is the converse of trusting in the flesh? Keep reading. Jeremiah seventeen seven. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be of the tree planted by the water, waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, Shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither cease from yielding fruit. I just love the way this is worded. Free shall be of the tree planted by the waters and spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh. As Christians who are planted, who are firmly rooted in Christ, we don't see the persecution coming. We are not focused on These outward problems. We are focused on Christ. Seeth not when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green. And shall not be careful in the year of drought. Even when we don't have anything. Even when everything is barren. We trust in Christ. We trust in Christ. We look to ourselves. And we see nothing. We are lacking. We are wanting. And we look to Christ. And we see plenty. psalm nee, one yeah yeah neither shall cease from yielding fruit. What is our solution? For this problem that plagued the Galatians, this problem of thinking that they would begin one way and finish another, to begin by the spirit and to finish in the flesh. What is our solution? Trust in the Lord. Make an arm of Christ. Have Christ as your strength. Amen. Blessed is he who puts his trust in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Amen. To return back again to the hymn we referenced earlier. There was a purpose we sang that. I texted Kevin I said, I want to sing that song. Because it was the perfect illustration for this sermon. To return back to that hymn, it makes plain the way in which Christians should live this Christian life and avoid this error of trusting in the flesh. Right after it said, right after we finished the last portion we talked about, what does it say? The arm of flesh will fail you, you dare not trust your own. What's the solution for that? Put on The gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer, where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Never wanting in the battle, in the war, because Christians, we are fighting a war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you put your trust in yourself, your arm will fail you because your arm is the flesh. But if you put on the gospel armor with prayer, you will never be wanting in the faith of battle. Amen. Amen. Put your trust in Christ alone and you'll never be found wanting. You must be careful each day to put on the armor of the gospel with prayer, having your loins girt about with truth and the truth of God's word, having put on in prayer the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. Not your own. That breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians 6 is not your own. It is Christ's. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And have your feet so shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking up the shield of faith. That is sufficient to quench every one of Satan's fiery darts. Put on the helmet of your salvation. Fix your salvation, your standing with God in your mind and in your heart. Each day, do this with care and prayer. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Friends, don't leave here today without fixing it in your mind that each one of you in this believer's battle with the flesh and power and principality Of this world will make Christ your strength make that your goal get up every day and say Jesus I can't do this without you pray to him pray as though it depends on him and not on yourself realize that your own efforts will fail you every time but Christ never will you must do this Christians Self-righteousness is inherent within us. And we must make every effort to starve it when it rears its head. With prayer and the word of God, you can do this. And you can stand in the face of this battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I pray that this bless each one of you. And I pray that you return tonight to fellowship with one another and to receive hope from God's word. Let us pray. Righteous Father, we are thankful to you for you providing strength in Christ for this battle. Father, that as we look to you, we can press on not growing weary we can press towards the mark of the high calling of Christ because we know that our strength comes not from ourselves, but from the gospel of what Christ did for us. I pray that the minister, I, as Paul, have taken the eyes of the people sitting in this room and pointed them towards Christ. Not to myself, for if they trusted in me, they would just be just as hopeless as if they trusted himself. But if we trust in Christ, he is sufficient for all of our doubting. He is sufficient to carry us through to the end of this battle. Where the battle with the flesh, the world and the devil shall be no more, where there will be no more tears, where all of our pain, physically and spiritually, shall be done away with in the land where Sin reigns no more, but righteousness forever and ever. Father, we look forward to the day that we are gathered with thy saints in thy heavenly city. Father, where sin is gone and every fear and doubt is swallowed up in Christ, may we trust in thee. I pray your blessing upon all these that are here. I pray that you keep us safe till we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.